Well, good morning to you all. Dave asked for all the fathers to stand up, and it was very nice. He, he asked a benediction upon them. That was very nice. I'd like to embarrass you even further. And uh, I'd like, if you are a great-grandfather, if you are a great-grandfather, I'd like you to stand up and accept great-grandfather. Really? Woo! How many times over? How many times over? How many great-grandchildren? Oh, that was bad. All right, we've got one great-grandfather. Grandfathers, please stand up. Grandfathers. Grandfathers, please stand up. Very nice. Uh, the rest of you simple single fathers, that, you know, you're not worthy. All right, I would, like to, I would like to know this. I have four children, three in-laws, three children-in-laws, and three grandchildren, so I have 10 that, I'm, that are in my family besides my wife, and I have 10. Who's got more than 10 in their family? Children, grandchildren, and in-laws. Who's got more than 10? Come on, I know. If Rod were here, he would. You do? Very nice. Anybody have more than 20? Anybody have more than 20? Children, grandchildren? Wow. Man, I used to ask this 10 years ago, and there'd be, I have 27. I have 42. <laughs> They're all gone. <clears throat> They're all gone. How many great-grandchildren? 20 great-grandchildren. Of course, you live to be as old as Fran. And, is Fran here? No, she's not. That one. I like the zinger. And I can't. I zinged her at the earlier meeting, at the home meeting. We were talking about a little rhyme she had about fathers. There's a, there's a hymn out. <clears throat> I can't remember. And she says, during the war, we had another verse for it. Men in khaki, men in blue. And it was, it was a way of changing a familiar tune to pray for keep them safe and keep them true or something like that. It was very nice. I said, yeah, that was, I didn't know they sang that back in World War I. <clears throat> I'm bad. I'm bad. I know my day is coming. My day is coming as well. Um, <clears throat> Father's Day. I do have a Father's Day message. I don't usually do, uh, I don't usually like to do messages on topics or dates or whatever, but uh, the Lord really laid on my heart something uh, about Father's Day and about fathers in general. How many of you, raise your hand if you do not have a father? You never had a father. No, but I, I want to know. Um, some people are not blessed with growing up with a, with a good father. Some people have absentee fathers. I've, I've been listening on, on the radio this week, you know, K-Wave and other stations, people talking about their experiences with their fathers. And people really had some heart-wrenching things. You know, divorce broke up the family, and after the divorce, they virtually never saw their father. Others, my father left when I was two, and I never saw him again. You know, I can't imagine that, an absentee father. Or if your father died and you were very young, and you grew up without that. Thank God here in the family of Christ, in the local church, you've got, you can grow up literally here with five or six fathers, uncles, grandfathers. And the kids go around and call people Grandma Fran, you know. And, and, and it's, it's nice to have that extended family. But some people grew up really without a father. And others had poor fathers. 
But many of us, and we can only thank God, we grew up with a good father. Perfect father, no. How many of you had a perfect father growing up? A absolutely perfect father. Oh, liar in the back there. <laughs> liar in the back, faultless and flawless in every way, right? No, none of us have perfect fathers. There's only one perfect father. But rejoice if you had a good father, a good father that raised you up in the way you should go. There's so many, there's so many variables. And even though, uh, you know, as we get older, I'll tell you what, all the mean things my dad did growing up, my dad was a harsh disciplinarian. My dad was stern. The older I get, the less of that I remember. And the more of the good times I remember. Because I remember as a kid, I, I'd tell my brother, I hate dad. I used to say that. I hate dad. I, you know, I was like five, and he had just given me the belt. But I had said that. <clears throat> and as I got older, you know, bear in mind, some of us had dads that, like mine, they worked, my dad worked 58 hours a week. He worked five tens and eight on Saturday for 30 years because he had five boys to feed and clothe and raise. So on the one odd Saturday a year that he was home, we all dreaded it. Oh, dad's home today. So I knew there'd be a gigantic chore list and absolutely no free time and no fun. I knew that. And most likely a spanking or two. But... As I got older and I became a father, I said to myself, my dad wasn't that unreasonable. <laughs> uh, are any of my boys here today? And there's Robert back there. Where's Andrew? Andrew couldn't bear to sit through this, so he left. <laughs> Rachel's here, isn't she? No, she's over in Sunday school. Yeah, they'll bear witness that I have become my father. <laughs> um, anyway, in our lives, and in the Bible, we see great dads, average dads, uh, bad dads, and, you know, as I said, absentee dads. There's all manner of fathers. But thank God if you're a believer, you can put behind all of those grief and the anxiety that you had as a child, all the feelings of neglect and abandonment if, if you were raised without a father. And you think, oh, that's why I have this weird emotional problem today or this weird psychological problem today. It's because I didn't have a strong father figure. Well, I'll tell you what, the Lord has gifted you with a savior that has brought you into the family of God the Father. And you have a father that makes even the best father here look like a mere mortal. You have a father that loves you unconditionally, sacrificially, and he nurtures you and he, and he desires for intimate relationship and fellowship with you. And it's not just a symbolic thing, it is a real and true relationship as true or more true than your biological bond you have with your own father. As true or more true, I would say more true, than a biological bond that you have with your own father. A loving bond that you have with a great father. It pales into comparison with the bond of your heavenly father. I'd like to look at a few examples in the Bible of bad dads. Bad dads. If you think of a bad dad, raise your hand. Basically, you think of a bad person, and they're most likely a bad dad. Give me an example. Just throw out a name. Bad dad. I'm sorry. Absalom? Oh, Manasseh. You got the nastiest of all there, Dave. You picked the nastiest. Anyone else? Jezebel's husband. Eli, that's a good one. Jezebel's husband. Ahab. Who, is, who followed Eli? Samuel. Samuel. And even though he's a good man... 
Okay, I'd like to look at a few of those examples, and most of them are you just named right there. Eli. Eli, overly permissive with his children. His sons lost all respect for him. He should have been instructing them in the ways of the Lord and in the ways of the priesthood. Instead, he was overly permissive of them. They'd bring in a sacrifice. They'd cut out the back strap there, the tenderloin. They'd save that for themselves, and that was for the Lord. Uh, and worst of all, he, he didn't set that example. He didn't give the, the correct uh, instruction. And then when they went overboard, when they went out of their way and they defied the Lord in every way, he, he did not rebuke them. And the Lord told him that you, you should have rebuked, you, you did not rebuke your sons. Samuel was a mighty prophet of God. He was, he was uh, you know, Hannah gave him to the Lord. And he was raised up there at the feet of Eli and he became the judge of Israel. A great guy, but he had a couple of sons too that he had problems with. And I think it's the same thing. He neglected to instruct them, to train them, to rear them, to take them in the way they should go. To the point where the people of Israel said, your sons do not walk in your ways. The children of Israel said to them, now appoint a king to judge us. You're a judge. Is this what we have to look forward to, to be the next judge, one of your sons? No, appoint unto us a king to judge over us like all the other nations. Samuel failed. David, <clears throat> David, perhaps the, the man in the Bible whose heart was most closely in tune with the Lord, was still far from perfect, wasn't he? We know that he was a, an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a deceiver. And it was passed on to his children. We see that he actually became the father to a rapist, to two different usurpers, to idolaters. Even Solomon turned away from God. Saul is another poor father. Saul, and, and you know what? If you have a bad father, don't say, well, I'm destined to be bad. Because bad fathers, that, that's not a gene that gets passed down to the children. If you had a bad father, don't say, well, I, I'm going to be a failure in life. I'm going to be a bad father. I, I'm never going to be what God wants me to be. No, that's not the truth. Saul had a son named Jonathan that put Saul to shame. In all of Saul's failings and all of his faults, he still somehow had a son like Jonathan, who was so like David. His heart was holy God's. But Saul also had a daughter <clears throat> that he put up for sale. The first man that brings me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, here's your prize. Put his daughter up for sale. David came back with 200, and that turned out to be a perfect marriage made in heaven, didn't it? He and Michael, no, it didn't. How about Lot? Was Lot a good dad? Lot offered his daughters to the mob. Good dad. Jephthah. Jephthah, who otherwise would have been considered a godly man, foolishly in the flesh made a vow that says, I will offer the next thing that comes through that door to the Lord. I don't care if it's a goat, a sheep, a bull, whatever. And his daughter walked through the door. And he killed his daughter. He sacrificed his daughter. <clears throat> you mentioned Manasseh. Manasseh, king of Israel. And one that just parallels exactly with him is Ahaz. Not Ahab, but Ahaz. Both of them rebuilt the groves. They rebuilt the altars. They rebuilt the temples of Baal. 
They offered sacrifice to them, and they offered their own children on the altars of Baal. And they were cursed for it. So you think of these men, you can, you can probably come up with another dozen. Because even the best of the fathers, you know, you think of Abraham, which is one of my examples of a good father. He had a lack of faith. He took uh, Hagar and had Ishmael. And then when he saw that it was, you know, from the flesh and God rebuked him for it, he kicked his son out. His wifeish and son, out you go. Not a great example of a father. But what, what failings do these fathers have in common? <clears throat> I don't know. Neglect. I'm going to say neglect. And then you can just go under neglect, different types of neglect. They neglected uh, to give their children instruction in the Lord. Correct instruction in the Lord. Neglect of God's word. Not just it, to the kids. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm busy at home studying, son. No, they neglected God's word and therefore neglected to teach God's word to their children. They neglected to show through their walk what they'd learned from God's word. They pretty much abdicated, many of them abdicated their parental responsibilities. Have any of you had a father, and I hope my kids don't think of me this way, that put their business, their career, or God forbid their hobbies, on such a high place, and I know how, how easy it is to do. You know, Dad, can we do something this weekend? Uh, how about the following weekend? And it becomes the following and the following, and it, and it just doesn't happen. The abdication of parental responsibility, and for most of these here, a satisfaction of their own carnal desires. Kids are important. Other things are important. And then other things are important. And when I take care of the other things, I squeeze out the time for my children. And you have a little window, you fathers. You have a small window. My kids were little just yesterday. They were little just yesterday. Now they're all married adults and parents. And it's just yesterday they were little children. My window has closed. I could, you know, I still have a relationship with them. I still have an impact with them, but the young, the young nurturing days, those days are over. That window's closed. I can't go back. Are there any men in here that have no regrets about the way they've dealt with their children, the way they've taught their children, the way they've instructed their children, the example they've been to the children? Are there any men here that have no regrets? Of course not. Of course not. We all have regrets. The challenge today, as, we, as we're not anywhere near where we're going, but the challenge today is to be, from this day forward, will you be the father that your father would like you to be? Will I be the father that my heavenly father wants me to be? Will I be the father that my own human father, who's gone on, that he would be proud of, that he would want me to be? That I would learn, I remember my dad just, a month before he died, he said, Bob, I have so many regrets. I said, yeah, Dad, we all do. He says, no, no, Bob. He says, I have so many regrets. 
So many things to be sorry for. So many things I'd like a do-over. So many regrets. I mean, he knew that his sins were taken care of, his failings. And I said, Dad, you've done fine. You've done fine. All of your sons are walking with the Lord. All of your sons are believers. I believe all your grandchildren are believers. I said, Dad, you know, I, everyone has just, and he knew he was dying. Dad, you've been a good father. And I held his hand. I told him I loved him. I said, are you perfect? No, and I'm not perfect either, Dad. And, he's, and he said to me, he says, Bob, don't be like me. Don't be old and have a life of regrets. Because our window is so small. And that door closes so quickly. And there's so many regrets that we're going to have. <clears throat> Let's look at a few examples of good dads in the Bible. Anybody think of a good example of a, of a really good dad? Don't be shy. If you're incorrect, you will be asked to leave, but don't be shy. Don't be shy. Give me a good father. Noah. Oh, he's on my list. Zachariah. He's not on my list, but he's a, he's a good one, too. What was that? Job? Did somebody say Job? That's a good one. Okay, here's a few that I look at. It's obviously not inclusive. Did somebody say Joseph? You should have. You should have. Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, <clears throat> two verses about Noah I'd like to look at briefly. Let's start in Genesis 9. Just, just, a, just a quickie. Just a quickie. Genesis 9, verses 8 and 9. You don't have to turn to it. I'll read it out loud. But you'll have to listen to it in the authorized version. And God spoke unto Noah and to, and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. We think of, uh, you know, we all have uh, two common grandparents on this, you know, in, in our genealogy. One is Noah and one is uh, Adam. Two common grandparents. He's the father. He was the father of the new, of the new creation after the flood. So he's my great, great, great grandfather. It might be yours too. God spoke unto Noah and to his sons. Uh, by faith, Noah was spared, and his life was a testimony to that corrupt world. And his sons were beneficiaries of the covenant, and his sons were given the promises. So we've got a father, perfect in every way. Now nah, we see a little fault later in his life. Perfect in every way, no. But 100 years he was preparing the ark and preaching righteousness to the world, preaching the coming flood to the world. Teaching his children. I don't know about, you know, he was 500 when the flood came, or 500 or 600 when it came. 500 when he started building, his kids were probably, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 years old. And uh, during that time that they were building the ark, <clears throat> You think there was ever a doubt in those children's mind that this flood was going to come? Oh, I think there were doubts. There's no doubt in Noah's mind. But they watch their dad, and they see the commitment of their dad, and they follow their dad, and they work with their dad, and for 100 years, they build an ark. You'd think after 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 70 years, you, is this ever going to end? Dad, are you delusional? And he's like, my wife and I, we're going to go over here with the sane people, and we're going to... No, a hundred years. Imagine a hundred years in toiling on, in faith on a project that 
God says is going to be necessary. But for 100 years, I can't keep focused for one year on a task, you know, for one week on a task. And just 100 years. And his children were blessed in, in a way that they were able to look at and see in their father's faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Noah sacrificed 100 years of his life, resources. I know he was under God's guidance and under God's hand for the salvation of his son, of his sons and his daughters-in-law and his wife. That's a dedicated man. Imagine him at five, six hundred years old going to talk to his father, Lamech, and his grandfather, Methuselah. See, this is what the Lord has told me. This is what the Lord has told me. This is what the Lord has warned me. And old Lamech and Methuselah, both of which died within a year or two of the flood, before the flood, said, son, that's the Lord that we've followed. That's the, that's the voice of the God that we've honored. That's the voice of the God that we've raised you up in the fear of. We don't hear about Noah's mother, and we know that there's nothing like a mother. If, I, if, I had, if my children could only be raised by my mother or a father, me or my wife, it would be me. But um, no, uh, no, that's ridiculous. No, I can't choose in my family because I like me too much. <laughs> but your family, I'm going to choose, Mark, you're out of the picture. Amy, you raise the kids. Same with you. I'm going to have you raise the kids. I'm going to have you raise the kids. I'm gonna, the, the husband's good to have. The father's good to have. But the mother is essential. And, and for an example of a good husband, it's just a wonderful thing. We've got to move along. Abraham, like I said, he failed with Ishmael, but he succeeded with Isaac. He succeeded with Isaac. And that Isaac became the, the, the father of a mighty nation. Abraham won, Isaac won, and then Isaac two, and then Jacob 12, and the nation exploded. He bestowed his wealth and his blessing on Isaac. Um, <clears throat> and you know, Isaac, Abraham and Isaac, and I'll put them together because I have both of them down here as good fathers. Remember, there was a bad day in Isaac's life when his dad took him up a hill. Remember that? Dad walked him up a hill, and his son was looking around. He says, I see the wood, I see the fire, I see the knife. Dad, where's the sacrifice? And he says, don't worry, son, God will provide a sacrifice. And up they went there, and he took his son, and he put him on an altar. He put them on an altar. And his son understood. And his, if it were any of my three sons, the rocks of that altar would start coming at my head. I'll tell you what, man, they would fight for their life to get out of there. Isaac submitted himself to the will of his father and to the will of God. And for the rest of his life, you know, if, he, if I popped off that altar, I said, we are done. We are, you're trying to kill it? We are done. No, he, he maintained a wonderful relationship with his father to the end of his days because he knew that his father was obeying God and was doing what was best looking for that promise of a nation that was to come. And, and the Lord asked him to, to slay his son on an altar. And then Isaac understood. Jacob, Jacob kept his family together as a people. 
You got 12 sons. They're not all best of friends. And I have three sons, and they're not all best of friends. You 12, he kept them together. Most families, you have, they get married, one goes off to Chicago, one's down to San Diego, one's up in the Bay Area, one went to Arizona. They're all over. Jacob found a way to keep this family together because God told him what, was, what his family was going to become a nation. Most of these families, they're scattered, scattered around the nations. Job, beautiful example. Job was involved with his children socially, and he prayed for them. Uh, it says here, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He would get up and consecrate his children at the end of the feast, each one by name, every one of them. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. It says Job did this continually year after year. He raised them. He provided for them. Each one of them was a wealthy family of their own. But he never relinquished that desire to care for his children, provide for his children, to instruct his children, be an example to them, to pray for them, and to offer sacrifice on their behalf. There's a dedicated father. And then finally, Jonadab. Jonadab, one of the kings of Israel. Jonadab uh, gave commands to his sons, and they obeyed him. And his commands were handed down to the next generation, who did likewise. Uh, he was a Rechabite. He was uh, first mentioned in 2 Kings 2, where he joined hands with, with uh, Jehu in destroying Ahab and the sons of Ahab and overthrowing that kingdom that was so in, entwined with evil and sin, the worship of uh, Jezebel's gods, of Baal. Um, in Jeremiah, we read that his children, the Rechabites, because it was uh, <clears throat> Jonadab of Rechab, Rechab. The Rechabites in Jeremiah 35, verse 1, Jeremiah the prophet offered them wine as a blessing, and they refused to touch wine. Jeremiah used the obedience of this tribe of Jonadab's children as a, a way to reprove the people of Israel. People of Israel, you all think you're righteous. You all think you're walking in God's ways. There's only one family here that's walking in God's ways, and that's the Rechabites, the children of Jonadab who devoted himself to the service of the Lord, to being an example, to being in the word, to teaching. I don't want you to feel bad because this is not what I'm trying to get at. You, are, you need to be like Jonadab and not like, this is not where I'm getting at. I'm just giving you examples. And then finally, Joseph, the son, the father, the, the earthly father of the Lord Jesus. We read very little about him. We do read that the, that the, the angel of the Lord, uh, the spirit of God called him a righteous man. And he was the man that God chose to be the husband of Mary. Mary, the vessel that brought forth our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Was he, is any earthly man going to be a good, godly example to a divine child growing up, a divine human child? No. But he had other children. Joseph had other children. And he was used 
to be an example to the younger sons and daughters of Mary, of he and Mary together. By faith, he was brought together with her, and by faith, he walked with God. He was chosen to be that surrogate to help Mary as she was given the task of raising the Son of God. And he was along her side. Joseph, a godly father. <clears throat> what, what characterizes the successes of these men? We see that the, <clears throat> what characterizes the poor fathers is neglect. Neglect of children, neglect of duty, neglect of God's word, neglect of instruction. Pretty much the opposite in these cases. It's we can see on each of these as we look down, there is an active involvement, an active participation, an active investment in time. Now, whether you're a believer or not, these are important characteristics to have as a father. I don't care if you're an unbeliever, if you're a heretic, whatever you may be, you need to be involved. There has to be active involvement in a child's life through example, through teaching, through instruction, through wisdom. And these, these characterize the above men. So this participation in their lives, not absentee fathers, uh, they were able to, to teach and to show these, their children uh, what submission to God is, what, what love for God is, what esteem for others above yourself is, and, how, and about taking their responsibilities seriously. Let me look at just a couple of verses here. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. I like this. Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. You don't need to turn. I'll read it. I'll even read it loud and clear. 6, 6 through 9 says, <clears throat> And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. There's an instruction to a father. You teach your children the way of the Lord when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, when you wake up in the morning, and when you go to bed at night. That pretty much encompasses the whole day, doesn't it? Your whole, your whole activity, your whole life. There's no time when you shouldn't be instructing your children in the way they should go. Are Sunday afternoons the best time? Yes, they are. As are Tuesday mornings and Thursday evenings and Wednesday noons. They are the best times. That's what the Lord asks of us. I like what Psalm 78, uh, verse 3 and 4 says. Psalm 78, 3, 4. I'll read that as well. Psalm 78, verse 3 and 4 says, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, <clears throat> showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. We will not hide them from our children. That which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us, we will not hide from our children. And there are many others as well. I just want to look at a couple verses in uh, the story of my favorite father in the Bible, Luke chapter 15. This one, please turn with me to Luke chapter 15. It's usually the story of a son, but to me it's a story of a father. 
sort of the prodigal son. And I'd like to look at that prodigal's father. Luke 15, chapter, uh, verse 11 says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, hired by a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his, filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and, he will say unto, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And this is where it gets good. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said what he'd rehearsed, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found, and they began to be merry. <clears throat> Why did Jesus use this example as a parable? Why did he use this, this son as an example of you and me, and this father as an example of our Heavenly Father. That, that boy, that son, was just like me in my youth and in my middle age and in my current age. He's just like me. And that father is nothing like my father was, but that father is like my Heavenly Father. I've gone my way. I've said, give me, give me. I, I deserve it. And I do my thing. And I go my way. And I don't even send a postcard. And I squander it all and times get hard. And then I look back at how things were when I was in the hand of the Lord, when I was walking in at, at, at his side, in his way. And I look back and I say, I'm not worthy of that. And the father, I don't have to knock on his door. He's on the hill looking for me to come back. He's on the hill looking for you to come back. If you're far from the Lord, that Lord isn't, gonna, isn't waiting there with a stick in his hand ready to beat you. That Lord is waiting there with a robe to put on your back. He's re ready to wash your feet and, sh and shod your feet. He has a ring for your finger and he has a feast prepared for you. That's the kind of father I love. 
kind of father I don't deserve, but it's the kind of father I have. And it's because I'm so lovable, right? No, it's because my Savior put his robe of righteousness on me. He put his ring of his spirit and of his blood on my finger. And he's prepared for me a wedding feast. Fantastic. We're running out of time and I'm about a quarter of the way through. But I do want to mention this. You know, we're, we're New Testament saints. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you realize that, but we're New Testament saints. We're not Old Testament people. You know, we're not Israelites. <clears throat> we're New Testament saints. You realize that in the New Testament, there are 311 or more references of God as our Father or my Father. 311. 150 times Jesus returns, refers to his Father as his father, our father. 30, he makes it plural form, our father. And the balance of the New Testament writers refer to we being members of God's family, he being our father, 131 more times, 311 total references. In the Old Testament, there are 24 references to God as father. Nine refer to it as a father-son relationship with the nation, not individually. Nine times it's obliquely referred to as it's like a relationship between a father and a son. And six times there's a reference to it, father-son relationship to a human being. And they only apply to David and to Solomon. Where God says, I will be a father to you and you will be a son to me. Only two times. And that's David and Solomon. The people in the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't enjoy, they weren't gifted with this relationship. It was God and man. It was creator and creation. It was Lord and it was, it was sovereign Lord and it was subject. Lawgiver, law follower. Sacrifice giver, sacrifice acceptor. It was, a, it was really a God-human relation. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we've got a totally different relationship. And why is that? <clears throat> You know, I have, uh, I have three in-laws now. I've got two daughters-in-law and I have a son-in-law. Josh isn't here, is he? No. Is Josh here? Okay, close your ears. Josh is a good boy, good man. You know, Josh and Rachel just celebrated their third anniversary. It seems like they're just dating yesterday. They've had their third anniversary. They've been married three years. Three and a half years ago, Josh used to call me Mr. McKay. And, and not often, he usually avoided me. But he used to call me Mr. McKay. And then, and I used to call him Josh. And then he gets engaged to my daughter. He came and asked for my hand in marriage. And he'll never forget that day. Because, <laughs> you remember that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I laid it on the line. And I tell you what, the boy has come through. Best son-in-law I've ever had, by far. Now, best son-in-law I could hope for. I used to call him Josh. And then he gets engaged. He get, I give uh, permission. I give uh, whatever you call it. I, I say you can do it. And then I call him. Oh, this is my, wife, my daughter's fiance, my future son-in-law. And then the day came 
And I walked my daughter down the aisle and tears are streaming down my face. I hand her over to Josh. And from that day on, he called me dad. He calls me dad. He used to call me Mr. McKay, sir, taskmaster, evil, evil, evil empire. Uh, now he calls me dad, and I call him son. And he has a special relationship with me that he didn't have three and a half years ago. Same with my daughters-in-law. They call me dad. Or papa, more likely they call me papa or pappy. We didn't have that relationship six years ago. But it's because my children brought them into my family. And now my two daughter-in-laws bear my name. Josh doesn't. I'm still trying to convince him to change his name. <laughs> or at least do a compromise like Mechchun. Let's do a Mechchun. <clears throat> he's thinking about it. No, he's not. But they bear my name. And their children bear my name. And they're in, a, in my family as surely, virtually as surely as if they bear my blood. Because their children do bear my blood. They have been brought into relationship, and I'm just a lousy father. I'm just a feeble father. You know, we've been brought into a new relationship with God, unlike any Old Testament saint. What is the church going to be throughout eternity? What is it going to be? Is it going to be the choir of heaven? Is it going to be the janitors of heaven? Is it going to be uh, uh, just pew fillers in heaven? What is the church going to be throughout eternity? The bride of Christ? Wait a minute. If I become the bride of Christ, then the father of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes my father. And I bear his name, and I have all the rights, privileges, and benefits that come with it. I have responsibilities as well. So just as the prodigal son came to the father, and the father ran to greet him, the father has greeted us. And he has put on us a robe it says we are robed with a robe of his righteousness. When Josh asked my daughter to marry him, he gave my daughter a ring. The ring was a symbol of his separation to her and to her alone, commitment to her, love for her, and uh, eternal bond with her. The Lord Jesus has given us a symbolic ring. That ring seals a covenant between two, doesn't it? <clears throat> and the Lord Jesus has sealed the covenant between he and I, between he and you, with a symbol of that, of that bond, which is through his spirit and through his blood. My, my wedding ring, I remember buying it, it was $80, but it has a lot more value to me than $80 chunk of 
I don't think it's either even 16 karat gold, probably 12, who cares? It hasn't left my finger in eons. I have a permanent dent here, $80 little piece of gold. We've been sealed with something so much more precious. <clears throat> you know, when we get into heaven, we're members of the church. We are going to be the bride of Christ. He will be our glorious bridegroom. We will bear his name. We will inherit his wealth, his blessings, his love, his, his home. Can you imagine? You know, growing up, I always thought, well, when I get to heaven, wow, it'll be great. I'm going to take a seat in the back row so the Lord doesn't look at me because I'm, you know, up in the front row are going to be the guys that worked and the slaves and the sacrificed and went on the mission field and there were martyrs. They're going to be in the front row. I'm going to take a seat in the back row, but I'll be happy to be there. There's no back row in heaven, brothers and sisters. There is a place at the Lord's feet for each and every one of us. If we believe that the Lord is omnipresent on earth, how can he not be in heaven? How can he not have a seat for us, for me, at his side? There's no hiding in the back. And believe me, as guilty as we feel right now about what we've done for our Lord, what we've given to him, how we've served him, he's going to wipe all that guilt away and all that love, all, that, all the tears and all the, the regrets away. And we're going to spend an eternity with a man who loved us unto death and has given us his name, his relationship, and a home with him in heaven as his father. What a father we have. Brothers, fathers, grandfathers, make a fresh start today. I pray that I do, that I become a better father than I ever was the past 30 years, that I become a better grandfather, that I learn from Job and Jonadad and from Joseph how to be a father that instructs their children in the way they should go. From the time I rise up in the morning till the time I go to bed at night, when I sit or when I stand, to lead my children in the ways of the Lord. Praise God for the father that he's given to us. If we've had a bad father on earth, if we've had an absentee father, think of the father that has given himself for us. Think of the Savior who has brought us through his blood into the family of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your goodness. Father, we pray that you'll make each of us here today better fathers, better mothers, better brothers, sisters, better spouses, better children. And Father, that you will bring before us morning and night your plans, your will, your love, your instruction, your word, for thy word is truth. Father, we pray that you will change us all more into the image of your son. Father, we long for the day when we shall be in that close, familiar relationship with your son and with you, Father. We thank you for all your blessings to us in our Savior's name. Amen.